what is the connection between sleep, race, ethnicity, and health disparities? And what is being done to help reduce these disparities? In this episode, Dr. Michael Granier provides a wonderful overview of sleep health disparities research, followed by Dr. Carmela Alcantara, highlighting a community engagement intervention in the Spanish-speaking Latinx population. Welcome to Project Sleep's podcast. Project Sleep is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to raising awareness and advocating for sleep health, sleep equity, and sleep disorders. I'm your host, Julie Flygar. We're so glad you're here as we work together towards making sleep cool. On this podcast, all guests express their own opinions. While medical diagnoses and treatment options are discussed for educational purposes, this information should not be taken as medical advice. Each person's experience is so unique which is why it's so important to always consult your own medical team when making decisions about your own health. If you haven't done so yet, please hit the subscribe button so you never miss a Project Sleep podcast episode. And if you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a rating or review wherever you listen so that we can reach more listeners and raise more awareness. The Sleep Insight series invites listeners to learn about this amazing adventure we take every night called sleep. Through these insightful discussions, we examine sleep and our society's beliefs about sleep from a variety of angles. We hope you'll learn some cool new facts and analogies that you can use to help us raise awareness about this underappreciated one-third of our lives. We're really excited to have two presenters today to tell you a little bit more about their work in this space and catch you up in case you're not familiar with this area of research and this body of research. Thanks. Um... So I'm really excited to be here, and I'm really excited that this is a topic that is gaining increased focus and attention. So my task over what I'm hoping is 10 minutes or less is to sort of orient everyone to sleep and health disparities research. And uh, my goal is mostly to tell the history of, of where sleep disparities research has come and sort of where it is now and look and talking about these policy uh, directives. I want to start with this idea, though, that especially throughout the sleep scientific community, um, sleep is often thought of as something like this, as a biological process or a set of biological processes that are intertwined with each other and, and have many functions and have mechanisms on health. And then there's a whole breadth and depth to this. But something that I continuously try to remind myself as a sleep and circadian researcher and, and the sleep and circadian research community is encapsulated perfectly in this quote by a sociologist, Simon Williams, who says, when we sleep, where we sleep, and with whom we sleep are all important markers or indicators of social status, privilege, and prevailing power relations. And this reminds us that sleep isn't just a biological process. It's a process that occurs in context of, of the world, and it's universal, and it's impacted by all of these things. So a very, 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 very brief uh, history. Social and environmental influences on, on health have been cited for over 200 years. I mean, you have the first epidemiology studies going back to the 1700s, picking up steam in the, in the 1800s and, and even more so in, in the 19th century and into the 20th century. And they start out in Europe, um, and you have these early and mid-20th century studies that started looking at systematic differences and, and particular areas that were looked at were environmental exposures. So this is where you had a lot of dirty cities and air pollution and, and disease and sanitation issues, healthcare access and utilization, 
uh, and also differences in health status and outcomes based on who you were, especially socioeconomically. Racial ethnic health disparities research picked up steam, uh, especially in the 1990s, and culminated with an Institute of Medicine report called Unequal Treatment. This was published in 2003, and it really defined the term of disparities for the field and really did set a research agenda. Since then, there's been some pickup in sleep disparities research. The very first study of sleep health disparities that I could find was published by Jordan Jean-Louis and colleagues in 2000. So it was 20 years ago, but still relatively recent compared to other uh, disparities research. And this is sort of the key disparities takeaway finding was that minority men got less, and, and women to, to a lesser degree, got less sleep than those who were white. There was some previous work that may have mentioned race or ethnicity differences, but this was really the first time it was a focus of a research publication. Probably the next key finding in the field was by Hale and Doe, Lauren Hale and Phoenix Doe, published in 2007 in the journal Sleep. And what they did that was, that was particularly groundbreaking here was that they extended findings to a nationally representative sample. But you have uh, Blacks and African Americans were more likely to be both short and long sleepers. You had uh, Asian Americans more likely to be short sleepers and other non-Hispanic Latino adults more likely to be short sleepers. And these findings have been replicated since many, many times. There's a huge uptick. I'm not going to mention all of the studies in this area, but I'm going to mention what I think are a few key ones. First of all, you had Jordan uh, uh, Jean-Louis and, and colleagues really digging into this issue of ethnicity and sleep, not even just race, ethnicity, but how, how subgroups, environmental context impact sleep. This was another groundbreaking study uh, led by Diane Lauderdale that actually extended these results to actigraphy in a large sample. This was a study where we looked at the interaction between race, ethnicity, socioeconomics, and other sociodemographic factors and how they fit together. We now have a number of meta-analyses. There are two in particular led by Megan Petrov. There's the, the term sleep disparity was coined by Nerov Patel in this 2010 paper. You have uh, growing literature on physiologic and genetic mechanisms linking some of these uh, disparities outcomes. You have more integration of uh, sleep disparities focus in other cohort studies, a great study that came out of the HCHS Soul project, also showing bridging out from not just looking at Blacks and African-Americans, even though that's where probably the most robust fundings are. And then sort of the modern era of analyzing some of this data and really looking at some of these, these complex relationships linking sleep and race ethnicity, what is the role of socioeconomics, what is the role of, of racism and discrimination and cultural context, and all these things sort of fit together. Uh, a socioecological model um, that we've been using and, and, and really is, is trying to sort of set the discussion for the field and how all this stuff fits together. You have sleep, you have all these downstream health outcomes. You have metabolic, cardiovascular, immunologic health, mental health, behavioral health, and cognitive health. And all these domains are all integrated with each other. And there's whole lines of research linking sleep with each one of these. But then what is upstream of sleep? Why, if we're going to make an impact on sleep in the real world of the public health, we have to understand what's upstream. So we have these individual level factors. These are the things like behaviors, beliefs, and attitudes, genetics, health. These are the things that if you cease to exist, they would cease to exist. And this is what drives individual sleep behavior. But what's important is the individual is embedded within a social level. These are things that exist outside of you that you're a part of. Things like your job, your neighborhood, your culture, religion, your social networks, your friends, 
uh, your family. These are the things that these individual level beliefs, behaviors, and biology sort of come from. And we can't really extricate ourselves from these. I mean, anybody think about how your sleep in the past, just in the past week, was dictated by things outside of you, like your job or your neighborhood or your family or the busy street you live on or things you need to wake up in the morning for or stay up late for. And even still, beyond, way beyond the basic sciences is the social level or the societal level. These are things that exist outside of these social constructs, like social networks and friends and jobs and families. These are things like racism, globalization, technology, public policy, the physical environment and conservation. These are things that actually impact sleep. There's a paper that was just published looking at wind turbines and wind farms and how that may impact sleep. So there's, there's a whole ecology here, what drives sleep. And thinking about going forward, there's a paper that recently came out from an NIH workshop that was led by NIMHD that was focused on sleep health disparities. I was fortunate to be part of this workshop, and, and, and so were a number of other people in the field. And this is sort of what we, what we set as sort of the agenda moving forward. We need more to develop and promote integrative research on sleep health disparities, not just looking at it from one perspective. We want a further development on understanding the causes and consequences of sleep health disparities, and also interventions to address sleep health disparities. This is something we're a bit behind on. And we also need to help build the research infrastructure and training opportunities for sleep health disparities, not just, not just funding research, but helping to build the pipeline. And so led by Project Sleep, we, we sort of, uh, I, I, was, I was able to help develop some of these ideas. I reached out to and got feedback from a number of people publishing research in this field. And uh, we also got some input and, and endorsement from the Sleep Research Society and the Society of Behavioral Sleep Medicine that these ideas were, were something they were willing to stand behind. There were these five policy initiatives, and this is what they were. Number one, we want to ensure funding for early career pipeline programs that help individuals of low socioeconomic status and underrepresented racial ethnic minority groups to thrive in the medical and research fields to help add their voice to the conversation because they have perspectives that not everybody in the field is going to have. And so we'll get better questions, better science, and better answers if we can diversify the field a little more. We want to ensure dedicated research funding to develop and implement people-centered, community-led interventions to improve community awareness and treatment of sleep disorders and sleep loss. So sleep as, as a domain of health, as well as disorders like insomnia and apnea. And the focus here is not just treatment of these problems, but also helping to increase awareness. Uh, Dr. Kylie mentioned the TASH program, which is a great example of this. We want there to be more funding to educate the public health and, and healthcare providers on signs of sleep loss and sleep disorder issues, specifically those impacting racial ethnic minorities and underrepresented groups. I think there's a huge social justice issue here. Uh, the people who are not sleeping and having adverse health outcomes are the ones who are already systematically set up for, for worse outcomes in general. And a lot of the upstream factors have to do with things like work schedules and multiple jobs and shift work and, and environmental stressors that we could potentially intervene on. And we want meaningful research on funding to better understand and address these health disparities and research funding to study how school start times in particular are impacting low socioeconomic and minority communities. I mean, the school start times issue is probably the lowest hanging fruit as from a policy perspective because the, the research is so clear that this is something that probably needs to be done. And it's important to draw attention to the fact that 
the communities that are most probably disproportionately impacted by this are communities that are already stressed. Um, so these are the five policy initiatives that, that we were talking about putting forward. Thank you so much, Michael. Dr. Carmela Alcantara. Hi, Julie. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us today. Happy to be here. So as Julie mentioned, what I want to do in the short time together is just highlight one of these kinds of community-engaged interventions. And specifically, this is a Dormir Mejor trial, which is an ongoing R01 that's a hybrid effectiveness implementation study, but that's focusing on a health disparity population that's important, which is the Latinx population, and particularly uh, Spanish-speaking uh, Latinx population. And so to first, you know, to answer this big question, which is what do we know about the state of science of behavioral sleep medicine interventions for health disparity populations, my group and I, we conducted this really comprehensive, exhaustive systematic review that reviewed all of the behavioral sleep medicine randomized control trials from inception to December, where the goals were to examine all the records, to examine and identify the socioeconomic characteristics, to get a sense of the, the representativeness of the samples, and then also to really closely look at what kinds of changes, cultural adaptations, or tailoring were made for these specific populations that I think were highlighted in, in what uh, Dr. Graner described before. And then lastly, to describe really qualitatively intervention effectiveness. And what we found from that is that over, I think we retrieved 8,000 records, did full deep dives of 800 uh, articles. And of those 800 articles that met inclusion of criteria, only 7% of them actually targeted underserved groups that would qualify as a health disparity population. Among this you know, massive uh, uh, systematic review, what we learned is that of behavioral sleep medicine randomized control trials, non-targeted immigrants, non-targeted LGBTQ plus populations, linguistic minorities, so non-English speakers, and that only uh, about 9% actually targeted or included uh, racial ethnic minorities. In my program of research, I, I, I appreciate being called the fixer. I think I describe in point two, uh, and so I'm really interested in how social determinants shape, sleep, mental health, and cardiovascular health, but also thinking how do we translate that into interventions. And, and, you know, Michael put in a plug for thinking not only about individual level interventions, for community interventions. And I've been really interested in how do I integrate the, the work on these population-based level with both, you know, individual behavioral level interventions and increasingly focus on insomnia in the Latinx population. And the reason for that is if you, if you take a temporal view, the prevalence of insomnia among the Latinx population is actually increasing. So in 2002, it was around 16%. In 2012, it's about 19.3%. With insomnia, as we know that in terms of behavioral treatment, CBTI is the first line of defense. And so we know what works really well, but that there's a lot of barriers to actually getting access, receipt of cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. And some of those, which we all know and, uh, you know, include insomnia is secondary. There's inaccurate beliefs about the importance of sleep, this limited access to qualified providers, which when you're referring to underserved groups and non-English speakers really becomes accentuated in terms of who is having qualified providers to deliver CBTI in languages that are not English. And in general, as that systematic review, uh, the results of that systematic review underscored, there's been a lack of attention to these contextual language literacy and cultural factors. And so with that in mind, it, you know, uh, I and colleagues have been very interested to understand the role of sociocultural stressors and its relationship to insomnia and other sleep uh, disturbances among Latinx populations and use these large 
population-based studies, some of which uh, Dr. Grandner uh, called out, like the Hispanic Community Health Study, to examine what's the relationship between specific sociocultural stressors and insomnia. And what we have found uh, in two sets of papers that were published is that acculturation stress in particular which is the stress of adapting and integrating to U.S. mainland culture, seems to be a pretty significant, consistent, and robust correlate of insomnia in the, Latin, in the Latinx population. We've also had some uh, in this work to show uh, that also ethnic discrimination appears to be an important, important correlate of insomnia as well, in addition to uh, chronic and, and independent of chronic stress. So this bore out in quantitative population-based epidemiological studies and also in qualitative work that we did where we directly talked with uh, patients uh, with, and participants with insomnia. And time and time again in these groups, both in English-speaking groups and in Spanish-speaking groups, this, uh, the, the salience of acculturation stress was actually very uh, salient and pervasive. And there's been a lot of promise. It's, it's, it's cool and not intentional. I think I heard in the, in the PCORI talk, there, um, there was reference to several of these internet-based studies or digital health-based studies to address uh, potential CBTI access barriers, particularly because of the supply and demand imbalance that we all know. And there's been a lot of excitement around digital therapeutics, digital treatments, as uh, potentially expanding access for underserved communities. Because of the supply and demand issues, we know that this might be especially helpful among Spanish speakers, and there might be a potential for faster uptake of behavioral health care because of increased um, access of digital health uh, for these communities. This is just an example, by no means an exhaustive list, not an exhaustive list of, of various different kinds of digital therapeutics for insomnia that exist, and some of which have a, a pretty strong evidence base. And so this, you know, the quantitative literature that I showed you, the qualitative literature, the promise of some of these digital therapeutics and the strong evidence base for CBTI in particular among English-speaking high SES communities really served as a strong foundation to fund for uh, the Dormin Mejor study which is an AHRQ, Agency for Healthcare Research Quality R1 funded grant that reflects a collaboration between Columbia School of Social Work, Pair Therapeutics, which I'll, I'll describe, and also this 11-person bilingual English and Spanish Community Advisory Board that includes patient stakeholders and other key stakeholders from, from the community and other respective areas. And so with this hybrid Type 1 trial, it's a hybrid effectiveness implementation study, as I mentioned, with, with three aims. The first aim is uh, to culturally adapt an existing evidence-based digital health intervention and then to conduct a randomized controlled trial. The second aim is to conduct a multi-stakeholder evaluation to really understand and assess the barriers and facilitators to implementing a digital health CBTI treatment in primary care for Spanish-speaking Latinx patients. And the third is a cost-effectiveness thing. We want to know, is it, is it cost-effective? How, how does it compare? And so using a, a rigorous cultural adaptation sub-study, I just, you know, that goes from the early stages of information gathering and very formative qualitative research to uh, the, the final stage, which is this cultural adaptation trial, this randomized controlled trial. We're currently in the stage three and stage four. I do want to say we've been, for, we have a lot of uh, participant engagement and have been able to conduct uh, focus groups in New York City uh, in, you know, actually during our surge in May uh, through virtual platforms. And I think that's a reflection of just the, in the community involvement that we've had thus far and are prepared to move to stage three and stage four. But a community advisory board has been involved throughout uh, this entire process. So 
in this intervention, the digital uh, therapeutic that we are adapting and testing is SOMRIS. Uh, SOMRIS is, some of you may know, SOMRIS is the first FDA market authorized prescription digital therapeutic for chronic insomnia for adults ages 22 years old and up. It's, it's really uh, quite exciting. And so what we're doing is doing a, a deep dive top to bottom review of SOMRIS and obtaining both community advisory board and participant feedback on precipitating and perpetuating factors of insomnia, the SOMRIS vignette characters and stories, the personas, the guidelines, really with close attention to health literacy and wanting to make health literacy and numeracy. Often numeracy is actually a topic that isn't often discussed, but that given in digital platforms, you're relying on, on content, wanting to make sure that that we're attuned to and responsive to health literacy concerns to make sure that the therapeutic concepts are understood. And to date, in this short and trying time, we've already identified 71 different kinds of adaptations. Most of these are what we would refer to as deep level adaptations or, or tailoring, where it's beyond just the language or more surface level adaptations. And some examples of these ad of adaptations, which are either surface or deep, include making sure that the vignette characters reflect the diversity of the Latinx population, that the vignette, the video vignettes leverage cultural values of familismo, and I can talk more about that later, really centering the immigrant experience. As I mentioned, acculturation stress in, in the quantitative work seems to be a major factor in the qualitative work. So making sure that that was uh, foregrounded throughout the content of the digital health intervention, uh, incorporating culturally relevant examples and proverbs, and really, again, attuning to health literacy to reading levels, so all the materials at the sixth grade reading level, and also ensuring that there's captioning in these digital health interventions, which is something that is often times missed. So I just want to acknowledge the multiple funding sources here, including AHRQ and NHLBI, and also the community partners. As I mentioned, I think part of why we've had a lot of engagement and sustainment even during a pandemic is because of the strong community partnerships with various different consulates in New York uh, City who are listed here, including the consulates of Mexico, Dominican Republic, and Colombia and our community partners like the Hispanic Federation and others here. I'll end there. Thank you so much for this amazing presentation. I know it's, uh, I'm inspired. I hope you guys are too by all this great work. All right, well, thank you again to uh, Dr. Granier and Alcantara for being here today and doing this uh, special emphasis panel. It is so important. And um, I just can't thank you enough for all that you were doing. The Project Sleep Podcast is produced by Carver Sound Productions. For more information on podcast production services, visit carversoundproductions.com.